the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How do we help suicidal teenagers? And later, why stay in ministry when you have a million reasons to walk away? We're joined by author Natalie Runyon of Raised to Stay to discuss that and more. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday evening. Hope you're doing well. We're so glad that you're with us today. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And if you've missed any of today's show, we would love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast and engage with us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on all the apps. All um, them apps. All them apps. <laughs> all them apps. I told you this totally uh, apropos of nothing, but apps. <laughs> I've got these pet peeves, and they're only growing and growing and growing. Not so much grinds my gears, more like pet peeves. Really? I hate when people at restaurants call them apps. You know, it's... I really don't like it. Do you want an app? No, I want an appetizer. Yeah, I want an appetizer. What about if they were like, I want a tizer? No, no, they're give both a, dumb. They're give both me a dumb. Zer. First, no one said that. No one has ever said that. <laughs> I know, but you I'm know, saying, people say apps it. all the time. Should we give get a nap? Zer. Should we get a nap? <laughs> what? I don't know why. Why would that bother me? I have I no idea. I don't know why that would bother you. So much bothers wow, me these you days. You are an old man. You are so a boomer. We much were just talking about this me these earlier. Days. <laughs> That's what grinds my gears episode I, with my Brian My son looked Fromm. at me the other day because we're in the car <laughs> and I just started listing all the things that I hate that his whole demographic says. That would be a fun segment, actually. I would enjoy doing that. Well, Brian, speaking of social media apps, we know because we've done some of these stories that the increase in social media pressure the past several years in our country, the rate of teenagers uh, really wanting to harm themselves, even to the point of committing suicide, Mm. has just increased dramatically in fact, so dramatically that the New York Times just posted something, an article about how to help suicidal teens saying that there are not enough therapists and psychiatrists, psychologists in the world right now to keep up with the demand of kids who are depressed and or considering suicide. Isn't that wild? That's like, sad. Yeah. Apparently, the United States has only 14 child and adolescent psychiatrists for every 100,000. Now, mm. I don't know how that breaks down to, like, how many of those 100,000 need therapy. Yet what we know is that the demand for therapy, there's not enough therapists. Mm-hmm. So that's so wild to me. I imagine more and more people are going to go into careers. Hopefully. Yeah, in in that field. But what's interesting, Brian, is, you know, I'm reading some of this stuff over at the New York Times. They actually had a therapy issue that they just published. Um, They're interviewing a lot of therapists who work with at-risk teens and specifically with teens who um, are at high risk for suicide. And they're saying, like, you can't just shut down your practice and say you're full in situations like that. But you have to have a waiting list. And, of course, when they're kids who are to the Mm. point of suicide, like, what in the world do you do? And, unfortunately, uh, this whole article is kind of sad. Like, there's just really, really not a lot that therapists can do because once the kids get in, sometimes the kids won't be honest. And 
Anyway, so a lot of therapists that are being interviewed at the New York Times are talking about how what they do is just try to meet kids where they are, when they can finally meet them, take them at their word. There's a therapist here saying, I don't have any other options. I'm trying to understand what these kids are trying to say rather than tell them what they're trying to say. Mm. Um, And anyway, this was kind of a startling article to read because it seems like the... The rate is increasing, but the help is not increasing. And I really don't even know what to talk about with this, Brian, except I wonder, like, where does the church step in, if at all? Um, Yeah, there has to be an answer because, you you know, you've always been told when a kid is suicidal that, you know, get him to the hospital, get him to the hospital. Right. Uh, But I would also say that along the way from... You know, doing great to being at that stage. How are we as a society going to care for our kids? That's it. How are we as a society, as parents, as churches, as schools, as everything, how do we not just go, ah, you know, they'll figure it out? Or they'll, Mm -hmm. like, what is it about our culture that is leading to such an increase like this? And we're getting to the point, Aubrey, where I'm not sure. I don't know where, like, the, the expiration date is on hanging it all on COVID. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. And in point. fact, David French posted some stuff the other day that he wrote. I'm really surprised by this, that some of the mental health issues are higher now than what they found during COVID. Oh, interesting. And so I do think that's been an easy out for us, in a sense, is just to go, oh, it's COVID, it's COVID, it's COVID. Yeah. No, no, there's stuff uniquely going on with our students that's different than when we were students. Yeah, it is. That we just have to be honest about. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answers, but I do know that they're not leading to good results. And so what are we as parents, as churches, as schools, as government, as whatever else going to do to try to rectify some of this stuff? And then how do we raise up enough counselors and whatever else in order to deal with these things? One of the suggestions that they're giving from some of these therapists that they're interviewing at the New York Times, um, they're saying that research is... Suggesting that apps that fo- apps, the good apps that focus on suicide prevention may help studies funded by the National Institute of Mental Health mm. are investigating the efficacy of digital interventions that encourage children and teenagers upon discharge from the hospital to gauge their suicidal feelings, giving them strategies and other provide support for parents. But then they're also saying, you know, the the better idea, and I think this goes back to something you were talking about, Brian would be reaching children far earlier. Mm. So there you go. If, you know, if this really is a national emergency, which I think it is, then are there some states have created suicide prevention programs? Are there schools that are already teaching coping skills? Um, Like, can our children at an earlier age receive tools, receive equipment, receive help that they need when they're feeling depressed, even to maybe recognize the depression reduce some of the behavior that comes along with that. I I don't know. It feels like it can't be an impossible problem. It has Mm. to be the most important thing that we're caring for the mental and physical health of our children. Um, And in one sense, it's like kind of, wow, man, isn't it sad to think like our little elementary children might need to be taught coping skill or elementary age children might need to be taught coping skills for depression but it looks like that may be the new reality we're living in and i don't i i think that 
the church and families need to be the ones taking this on, mm. not going, well, now our schools need to be teaching. Kin- mm. like, I want my schools teaching kindergartners how to read, how to yeah, write, how yeah. to take nap time or go to recess. or And, you know, if you sprinkle in some best practices. Social, emotional just, health. Yeah. I think this is more a wake up call, particularly for parents to say, right. hey, when your kids are little. Yeah. This is when they're kind of, you know, wet clay that mm-hmm. you're forming and you're doing. And so. Be present. Yeah. Uh, Check in with them. Be intentional. And uh, kids are growing up way too fast. And so don't be like, oh, you know, I'll wait till they're in fourth grade. I'll wait till they're in eighth grade. You might be too late on some of that. So be having those conversations Mm. at an age appropriate level. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Do it at an age appropriate level. And like you said, be present. Be like checking in with your kid, engaging them, asking questions, spending time with them. And so that you can be aware of what's going on. Keep that door of communication open. By the way, I don't know if you know this, listeners, but we wanted to tell you, just as you you know, call 911 for emergency services, if you're having thoughts of suicide or you know someone who is, you can call or text 988-988. That's a suicide and crisis lifeline. Well, coming up next, Brian, we're joined by an author named Natalie Runyon. She has a... Um, She has an Instagram page and some other resources around staying in the church. Mm. I actually follow her on Instagram on her site that's called Raised to Stay. But she's a new book coming out, Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. I feel like you and I are going to have a ton (laughs) to talk with Natalie about when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. And we're so thrilled to be talking to uh, someone who's officially a friend of the show now, go. author Natalie Runyon. She has a book coming out in July that we want you to grab a pre-ordered copy of. It's called Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. Uh, Brian and I can totally relate to the title. Uh, Natalie, so yes. thanks so much for being here uh, to talk about your upcoming book. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so um, Natalie, I know one of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea of brutal beauty. You were raised in the church as a pastor's kid. Brian and I are both pastors, and we have several pastor's kids that we're raising. We're raising pastor's so kids. So talk to us about that. What do you mean by brutal beauty? I mean, it's like your favorite thing and the thing you hate at the same time. You know, it's, yes. I lived in I lived in church parsonages most of my life, and so you know the church was right next door to our home, and these were my family, these were our best friends. We broke bread together, and at the same time, these would be the people who could potentially hurt us and let us down, and that we could potentially hurt and disappoint. And so, just every day, the sacrifice of love, knowing that man, if you're going to love something, you might get hurt by it or you might hurt it. And it's just this tension of being part of the family of God that I just, I can't ignore because I love the church so much, but there's a beauty to it and there's a brutality to it. Mm. So let's ask kind of the very foundational question. How do you tell somebody when to stay and persevere in ministry or at their church and when it is actually appropriate to leave and go go somewhere else? 
You know, I would compare this to even a marriage or a relationship. You know, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm being abused or I'm being harmed or I'm being hurt or ignored or even, you know, kind of not even just celebrated but tolerated. And there are red flags that come across relationships in general, and the church is not exempt to that. So I tell people, if you're somewhere where it's abusive, it's toxic, it's narcissistic, hey, there is freedom in Christ. Go and find a healthy church where you can thrive and grow. Mm. But if we're just dealing with humanity or humans we're dealing with people that are just difficult well guess what we're difficult too (laughs) right right like god will equip us to sit in hard and holy tension where he can work and move but there's a difference between narcissistic toxic leadership Mm. and just human behavior Mm. i actually want to follow up with that Natalie this hard and holy tension i know that's something you write about in your book the hurt and the hard and the hope and the holy Can you tell us a little bit about those phrases and what you mean specifically around staying? Yeah, the hurt in the heart is just a given. I mean, even Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians where he's like, I've been shipwrecked, beat by their rods. I've been let down by uh, people who are my enemies, but I've also been betrayed by my brothers. He tells us that there is going to be hurt and hard in this following Jesus. But it's the hope and the holy that's on the other side of this John 15, this abiding in Christ. When we remain in Jesus and we produce good fruit, we see this hope and this holy that comes, not with staying just for longevity's sake, but abiding in Christ and allowing him to finish the work he started in us. And that. His hope for us is not just to thrive, um, but to be in a reconciled church where we sit in the tension of that hard and the hurt even so that we can watch him work all things out for our good and his glory. Mm. Natalie, we, we hear a lot about church abuse right now, rightfully so, right? It's a good thing that that's getting more and more out in the open. But you look to def- differentiate the difference between church hurt and church abuse. Why is that so important and how can you tell the difference? You know, I think it's an important conversation because, yes, there are wolves in sheep clothing, and we know Mm -hmm. this. We know that there are churches where there are wolves in sheep clothing, and they're hurting the sheep. And we need to acknowledge that, believe people when they tell us they're abused, and get them help. We call 911. We do the hard work. But there's also sheep crying wolves. Hmm. And I think it's, uh, it's, we have to know that we're going to be held accountable for calling people abusers who weren't really abusing us, wow. but we're just really unhealthy leaders. And there is a fine line as someone who's not a clinical psychologist. I'm careful not to define them too much, but I do believe that hurt is something that is not causing a physical, sexual, emotional trauma damage or in need of psychological help hmm. or physical help. Whereas hurt is more of the everyday thing we're seeing Paul talk about in Corinthians, which is just people being human. And so it's important to distinguish the difference. So we're not calling um, bad seasons abusive, Mm. um, but to also know the signs of what abuse really is. Yeah, I think that's so, such a good distinction, Natalie. Um, Okay, I want to hear a little bit about your story, because I know part of your story is you were hurt by the church yourself, but you decided to go back into ministry. So, you know, don't spoil the book, but tell (laughs) us a little bit about your own journey. I mean, I grew up in the church. It was like owning the family business, right? I mean, it was all I knew. And yeah. so my parents got pretty hurt my senior year of high school, and I was supposed to go to a Christian college and didn't, ended up going to a public university and really had my world rock, going from wanting to be in the Christian world my whole life to now being a kinesiology major and having to fight for my life, fight for my faith in a public arena with, you know, atheist professors and people who were constantly make me, making me have to 
question what I believed in. And it was over 20 years of running for ministry and saying, no, I don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. Mm. But the Lord found me in this space and really taught me that I did love his people. And it was through serving in volunteer roles and part-time worship leading roles and re-entering the church on my terms, not as a pastor's kid, but just as a simple daughter of Christ. Mm. And it's been over the last uh, you know, 25 years of getting hurt and healed and hurt and healed and hurting people and helping people heal, that I've realized that God's church is good. I do love the church, and I want to contend for what God designed, and that's the church. The church is God's idea, not man's. Mm. And so, yes, I've been hurt. Yes, I've hurt people, but I have enough FOMO, enough fear of missing out. <laughs> God is up to something, and I mm. don't want to miss it. And that's why I'm still holding on, is to see this remnant rise up. Mm. Uh, Natalie, the, uh, we on the show talk all the time about this concept of deconstruction. Uh, it, that's kind of one of the big phrases right now, people deconstructing their relationship with the church, but also with the faith at all. How do you hope that that the stuff you're writing on, the stuff you're talking about, uh, what what part are you hoping to play in that conversation? And what do you hope for people who are deconstructing? I say a good, healthy deconstruction is something we all need to do to our faith to make sure we're not being bogged down by religion and, and, and just the condemnation that the world and other Christians can put on us. So I'm all for a healthy deconstruction if we have the framework to rebuild something with the Lord and with each other. And so churches and leaders we need to not be so quick to defend ourselves when people tell us they're deconstructing, but rather ask them, are you detangling? Are you trying to kind of come out from under something that wasn't biblical, that was yeah. a high thing, that yeah. was not even in the Bible that you were holding on yeah. to? And let people walk this out on their own terms with the Lord, and then for us to be a safe place for them to walk that out with. And I think the more that we can surround each other with um, biblical language and discipline and with discipleship and mentorship, a healthy deconstruction with the intent to rebuild is something that I'm all for and that mm. the church should not be afraid of. Mm. Oh, so good, Natalie. So much more content in your new book that's coming out in July. We would encourage people to go ahead and pre-order that on Amazon or whatever it is you order your books. Again, the title is Raised to Stay. Um, Natalie, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they do all of those fun things? Well, we have a thriving community on Instagram and Facebook under Raised to Stay. We would love for you to join us there. And then I'll be traveling throughout the country and actually world this year. So you can follow me on RaisedToStay.com to find out where I'll be coming next. Oh, I love that. Natalie Runyon is the author of Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my Sounds co-host, like you forgot what Brian it was. Fromm. You know what's funny? Aubrey Every, um, every once in a while, I feel like Aubrey is a strange name to say. Like, it becomes one of those... You've had it for 40 Yeah, I know. I know. Years. Thank you for staying 40 plus. I appreciate yep. that. Um, like, if I'm at I, a coffee shop and they're like, what's the name? I'm like, it's like I can't. The words don't come out. Do you hold this out. against your parents? Do you hold no, a... I really like my name because it at least used to be, like, pretty unique. I like that a lot. But for some reason, saying it feels like a mouthful. Aubrey. Aubrey. Anyway, that's who I am. And I'm with Brian. How many, and... how many times a week does somebody call you Audrey? Oh, 
8,000. Uh, at least once a day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or Amber, for some reason. Amber happens quite often. The Audrey makes a lot more sense Audrey than Amber. Audrey makes a lot more sense. And sometimes I go with it and sometimes I correct them. Mm-hmm. Audrey's a cute Yo, name, You so will go with it sometimes? Every once in a while. If it's, not, if it's someone like I'm not going to continue in a relationship with, like just a passerby, then they can call me Audrey. But it is Aubrey, just so everybody knows. All right, Brian, let's move on to something beyond my name. (laughs) (laughs) Hard-hitting news. (laughs) Dan Ryland at churchleaders.com is talking about current realities in our world that challenge meaningful relationships. Hmm. Any guesses? Busyness. That's what I think. It's got to be the top one. Busyness has got to be on here. What about, I think social media is probably on here. Like, we know each other from a distance, but not in real life. That's a guess. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time just getting past busy. I don't know what else you it could think be, it's but busyness. Be busyness. Okay. Well, four current realities that challenge a meaningful relationship survey says the tension between the speed of life and the speed of love. I'm going to call that busyness. That's a fancy way of saying <laughs> speed of, of life and the speed of love. Busyness. He, uh, Dan Ryland is talking about Jesus who slowed down in order to love. People. And he's talking specifically to leaders, but I think that this is for anybody is leading an organization uh, to realize their mission, leading any organization to realize their mission requires the speed of life. But listen to this playing with your children and grandchildren requires the speed of love. Mm. Or I would suggest your marriage requires it, right? Absolutely. How many times on the show have we talked about, hey, one of the best things you could do is go on a date. Yep. And how many of us go, I just don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Oh, you're running here. You run yeah. here. You and I get it. All marriages, mine, mine included, are mm-hmm. really busy. Mm-hmm. But speed of love. Speed of love. It requires it to go on dates <laughs> and to speed pause. speed of love. I feel like that's a great song. It's coming. I, I, <laughs> Run at the speed of love. I don't, you might be right uh, generically, but, but the one you're singing right now, I don't so, know if I need to be this is not the Lynn sharer of Manuel difficult Miranda, news. Like, this is, uh, this is not a great song. And uh, so maybe the words might end up great, although you just kept singing the speed of love over and over again. So I don't know, but... The wow, actual I got presentation some bad right now. The presentation of the song, <laughs> I think, uh, love <laughs> leaves a lot to be desired. Okay. Yes. Woo! Okay, I don't know what just happened there. I had a little bit of a mental breakdown. Next time you're pulled over, you should turn to the officer and he goes, how fast do you know how fast you were going? I said, no, I was going the speed of love. I was love. going the speed of love, officer. <laughs> how fast were you going? <laughs> you know what's funny about this, though, is I finally, a few weeks ago, I got so sick of this that I calendared. Every Monday is family night. I don't care if you have homework. I don't care if you have commitments. We are being together as a family. And every Did Tuesday, you say it with this posture? Yeah, they like, were all like, how, your mom, enjoy this that? sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds really enthusiastic. Great, mom. And Tuesday night, which honestly has been date night, but Kevin and I have kind of been lazy about it. So I was like, and Tuesday night is date night, no matter what. we. Will. And so I just... I. I'm saying that with a lot of aggression. Where's but, date night two tonight? Um. Oh, so I don't know. We're... This is the hard part, too, is, you know, you got to have money to go on date nights all the time. So then you got to think creatively. We'll probably sometimes we like to go on a walk to our little local Mexican place, sit outside in their patio and have chips and salsa or something That's like that. Nice. So you don't have to buy for a whole meal, but you have an experience. So tonight, because this is clearly going to happen tonight. Yes. Tonight, I uh, either on the walk 
or probably at the table. Maybe you get like the Marachi band behind oh, you and you sing for Kevin the, the speed of love and see what he thinks about the song. He will love it because he's a lover. Please give us, give us, uh, give us uh, the second stanza, please. It's the speed of love. Put some fuel in your tank. I wish people could see you right now. This is I'm bad. like cracking myself up. All right, let's move on. To the three on. listeners who remain, let's... thank you. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Besides, you, you guys the take The declining over. ability to exchange. I actually thought this one might pop up. The declining ability to exchange differing ideas, thoughts, oh, yeah, and opinions. For sure. We can't argue anymore. We can't I debate. Know, we can't talk. True. Everything is very tribal. Everything is every. We all have to agree with each other. I We've know. lost the ability uh, to uh, to disagree yeah, without to, being disagreeable. What is what is our friend who's been on the show? Civil civil disagreement. We've we've lost the ability to do that. Ignore me. I've lost my I've mind lost over here. I've lo- yeah, I think I think that's true, and therefore you can't have meaningful conversations unless people agree one hundred percent with you and who you are, and yeah. so that makes it difficult. The next one is the challenge to value social this messaging social media. in its proper perspective. Social media allows us to stay connected, celebrate successes and milestones. Don't you feel like when you say, oh, it's our anniversary, you get more likes and congrats than ever. Uh, We just had birthdays. Yeah. And and, uh, you get so many likes. It's the only good day of Facebook on the year. It's so true. But it's the hard part is that's not a deeply meaningful relationship. Mm -hmm. Like that might be fun and encouraging. But then the weird part is I would say Gen Z says they've got really meaningful friendships that they've never met in real life. I would think that there are certain people, take your birthday, that if you only got a Facebook message from, you'd be disappointed. Yeah, that's a good way to kind of um, gauge it. Yep. 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 All right. Then the uh, next one, the complexity of managing the tension between grace and truth. What do you think Dan Rylan means by that? Uh, how do we forgive each other, mm. right? How do we speak truth to one another, mm. but also show one another grace? When is yeah. one needed towards the other and how, what effect does that have on relationships? Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're someone who is so busy because you're running at the speed of life instead of the speed of love or you're on social media or <laughs> yes. whatever. Like what are there tweaks you can make to move into more meaningful relationships? And does it even sure. matter? Like if you're like, well, I'm fine. Why would I do that? Well, like, well, what's think- at stake? I actually do think we have different needs when it comes to deep friendships. Like, I would say everybody needs friendships, but some people are pretty good with, like, hey, I got my people, and I'm good. Like, I don't need more. I don't need more deep relationships. But I would say it's not brain surgery. It's it's the need to slow down, disconnect, Mm. connect with the people who really matter. Yeah. uh, Show them grace. Yeah. uh, Be able to disagree with each other without being disagreeable. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I get it. And then when you're really struggling, just look into yourself in the mirror and go, am I functioning at the speed of love? <laughs> do, 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 the speed of love. All right. Well, I don't know how I do we got off the rails. Do, do, doing in the middle of it, too. <laughs> Thank you. I just added that. I'll keep working on it. Don't worry, everybody. We'll get back to it. All right. Hey, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.